Chopping wood inside? Oh, Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. Uh, Tom, are you still out in the lodge somewhere in the void? I'm, uh, I'm crossing oh, over oh, right now. Hi. Yes. How's yes. How are you? Pretty good. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks. Happy uh, Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> <The> <laughs> Happy <lady>. holidays <laughs> to you as well. <laughs> it's been a while. I think it's been about three weeks since we did our last podcast and uh, I'm happy to be back and talking Twin Peaks. And I just got the Blu-ray set. Um, yesterday, and I spent pretty much all night watching all the extras, and I'll talk a little bit about it uh, at the end of the show, and then we're going to actually do a review of the whole set probably next week, but just a little tease. It's it's fantastic. Uh, the extras are really, really great. There really is like about six hours, more than six hours of material, like on set, Lynch directing, and uh, there's all kinds of interesting tidbits and everything, so... I'll, I'll tease a little bit of that, and like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll do a proper podcast. Well, yeah, you really teased us. You gave us no information. I've got mine's coming on Wednesday or a couple of days, so I can't wait to watch it as well. But uh, we're going to do a podcast on that uh, probably next time, right? Right, okay. yeah, yeah. All right, but well, I, this week, though, what, what are we going to talk about this week? There's something about dreams. Dreams. Is that, <laughs> is that what you're... Yeah, I wanted, it's the whole thing with uh, the, the dreams. We've talked, obviously, about... Um, some aspects of this in previous podcasts, but I've, I've had a lot of inquiries on social media um, from a couple of people, namely our friend Chris. Um, I don't know where he's at. I think he might be in Canada, but um, he really subscribed to like kind of the Laura is the dreamer notion. And I know a lot of people um, kind of fall in line with that as well, or the Cooper is the dreamer and just the whole world of dreams. And that's a, what I really want to kind of get into, not necessarily um, all about this season, even though I think that'll be the bulk of our discussion. But I think it ties into the original series, A Firewalk With Me, and some of uh, Lynch's other works as well. So I really kind of want to thematically tie dreams into um, this discussion tonight. Well, yeah, because I think that was the big you know, episode 17 supermind fuck was the, the, the superimposed head and we live inside a dream. <laughs> and like, what does that mean? You know, I think we speculated when we did the final dossier that that might be kind of a Lynchian thing. And if that weren't there, it would be a very Frostian ending. You know, with 17, it would feel more like the original series. And that might be like Frost, but it seems like the whole Dreamer stuff is is all Lynch, which is going to be a, quite a little uh, uh, challenge to try to dis- dissect. Where do you want to start? Well, one thing that I just came across, and it's not with a new series, but it, it could very well tie into it. Probably not, but who the hell knows? We're here just to talk about Twin Peaks, and every little morsel is interesting to at least me. But... Remember in the original series, I think it was the episode right before the reveal of Leland uh, as the murderer of Laura. 
And there's that great scene at the end of the uh, previous episode where uh, the Winter Man is being interrogated by, you know, uh, Cooper and Cole is there, Truman, the whole thing. And it's just a, a fantastic scene. And Cooper is asking him all these questions like, you know, where does Bob come from? And he's like, that cannot be revealed. But the end of that scene has the one armed man telling Cooper that Bob, who has been in Twin Peaks for nearly 40 years, is in a large house with many rooms that uh, uh, each room occupied by a different soul night after night. A large house made of wood, surrounded by trees. The house is filled with many rooms, each alike occupied by different souls night after night and obviously and then they cut to the great northern because let's relieve them was and everything so but it made me think of that was the, red herring right <laughs> what do you mean it was a red herring when he said he, we lived we thought that he lived at the great northern hotel dun, 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 oh, but it yeah. wasn't the great well yeah that was the whole they were kind of given the the one kind of track of like oh maybe it's ben horn yeah, we freaked uh, yeah. out. Right, we did. Yeah, old. we went crazy. Right. Started screaming. I think. But looking back, it obviously was a reference to Leland because wasn't Leland there that night pulling the little fur off the vicuna or the the stuffed animal in Leland's uh, Ben's office? Yep, that's that's the connection. Yeah, but anyway, the the whole thing thinking about um, the lodge, right? There's, you know, obviously, you know, we just see, you know, well, I don't think we just see one room, but it looks very similar i think we go to many different rooms like when the diane tulpa we see the diane tulpa and she's in the chair the chair is blue and when cooper is sitting it in the chair it's black so i think that we're seeing like different rooms within oh, i didn't the, notice that oh yeah, yeah no one ever told me that so okay wait so <laughs> what, tell, go go into that again is it like a dark dark blue like a night blue like what because no it's more kind of like me yeah more kind of like a powder blue like a lighter blue <laughs> and uh, did i just completely miss that i would notice that i'm not that badly colorblind but uh, okay so there's yeah there's two rooms they're not in the same room all the time Right. There has to be multiple rooms because Ray's laying dead in one of them. Yeah, and I don't think there's any furniture <laughs> in that room, and there's no furniture in, in several you know scenes. Um, and uh, there's you know when there is furniture, sometimes it's not exactly arranged. Obviously, the different color of the chair. So it made me think since in part seventeen we got the kind of answer of the hum and the key opening that door, which led to Cooper seeing the one-armed man. But it was interesting that it was that, whatever that portal or wherever Cooper was going at that point to meet the one-armed man was in the the Great Northern, in the furnace room. So it made me think of that scene in the original series, that it could really be, I would say a metaphor for the Black Lodge, but there is, I think, more of a connection to the Great Northern uh, and the Black Lodge now after seeing these these uh, episodes, especially because of Part 17. So I just thought that was very interesting. Uh, well, obviously, uh, there's action. a portal at the in, in the Lodge, right? The basement, there's a portal right there. Boom. Well, you know, I, I, we, it's something, obviously, but that whole trans- Or is it just La La Land, as Lynch calls it? Well, that, no, Never Never Land. <laughs> or Never Never Land, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the tidbits from the Blue Way. Like, well, right? think about that. Like, is it was that really the Great Northern Basement? Like, or was that Never Never Land that, that manifested to appear kind of like the Great Northern Basement, but not really? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would kind of go along that line, but then we had that whole scene with James in part, what was it, part... 14 where he was in that furnace room so you know we saw him in that location we saw the door we heard the hum but obviously he didn't have the door seemed different it was the same door james saw the same door as coop 
I don't know if it's the same. The doors seem different to yeah, me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I, it probably is. But Well, what does this have to do with dreams? <laughs> <laughs> we live inside a dream. It's all it we is. It's all inside, dreams. We're, we're in the lodge. You said you would, you would love to be doing like some sort of eternal podcast on Twin Peaks. I think one of our last episodes when the season was wrapping up, well, here we are. We're doing an eternal podcast in the Black Lodge, so of course we can just talk about what you want. Just we need a theme though. Like, where do we go with this? No, we're going to go into the dreams, but wouldn't it be great? I was going to pitch this to you at one, at, at some point. And I, I I know I was going to get like you know shot down, but wouldn't it be fantastic at some point to do an eighteen-hour marathon podcast mm-hmm. of the entire series? That'd just power through. Well, no, that'd be well. It would be like you know they shoot horses, don't they? Like that movie. Like, we'd have to just keep going. Like keep dancing. Exactly. Dance we drop. <laughs> right. That's a great we, movie, we, by we, the way. But that yeah, I got the idea because that article. I'm sorry for interrupting you. That article that came out about a week <laughs> or two ago, some guy actually watched um, the series um, from start to finish, and he said how it makes a lot more sense. Certain things like tie together for him, and um, obviously, I think that would be the ideal viewing. But who the hell can endure 18 hours? But I certainly would be game for it. But uh, you know, well, maybe, maybe, you know, we when we run try. out of ideas, yeah, so. Yeah, peel our eyes back and just sit back there with a lot of caffeine, just watch it all the way through. I'm not sure that would do much for, I mean, I could watch it like two two cycles or whatever, like, you know, nine hours, lay down, sleep, wake up, nine hours again. I could do that, part we'll two. Just, two parts. Just power through, just power through. We do it. I take the mantle well, for we'll some point. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, okay, so the sponsor. dreams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the sponsor, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so one other thing that I was thinking with dreams as well is that, in the original series, every Lynch-directed episode, except for one, has at least one reference to a dream, like a yeah. character saying a dream or seeing a dream. Now, Lynch only directed, I think, what, seven episodes? Two in the first season and, uh, no, four, I think, no, five, yeah, seven episodes. So if you had to guess which episode of the entire original series that Lynch directed that did not have a mention of a dream... Which one would you guess? Oh. Season, the season two premiere? No, no. That had that had probably the most references to a dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you didn't mention of dreams. Like, because was the giant really a dream or was it a vision? Well, no, didn't at the end of that episode, it, it doesn't Cooper like come to and say, I'm not dreaming. And then the giant. Ah. Yeah. All right, well, so there's at least it? one. But so there's one episode where there's no mention of a dream. And it is the final episode. Would you think that someone would have said dream or something? But yeah, there's no reference. There is in the script, but there isn't in the show. So every other Lynch episode that he directed has at least one mention of a dream. So... Obviously, he really laid it on thick in the return. He, I mean, how many characters had these impactful dreams from Audrey to Lillard to J- Belushi to, you know, it's like a lot. How many, like, lay, lay those out and try to figure out what those mean? Well, isn't it interesting that we have a really huge uh, dream mention in Buckhorn with Lillard and the whole zone uh, fiasco? And then we have a huge mention of a dream with Belushi's character in Vegas, which basically prevented them from killing. Uh, Cooper, and then we have any number of mentions of, of dreams in Twin Peaks. Mainly the Audrey uh, mention, uh, uh, several mentions I think of, of dreams or dialogue with Charlie, and uh, then obviously the Monica Bellucci dream that that Cole uh, references, and then just all the, the series of, of events that unfold in Part Seventeen. But what's interesting is that those different locations have one major kind of dream mention or uh, uh, scene, even though we don't see 
the Belushi dream or the Lillard scene. It's really kind of built into that location's uh, arc. And so I think what we're seeing here is, is that for me, I don't buy into a one dreamer philosophy. Like Laura is the dreamer. Cooper is the dreamer. It's the fireman's dream. It's Judy's dream. Um, I, I think that what we're seeing is a series of, of not dreams, um, but characters obviously referencing dreams that are built into the narrative. So I don't necessarily think that what we're seeing is a whole dream world. So it's something that I don't really subscribe to. Well, the unified lodge theory, uh, you know, we, 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 that it's all like kind of a Cooper manifested dream in, in, the, in the lodge. It's not necessarily he's laying there sleeping and having the dream, but he's going around in this like state where he's, his subconscious is being picked and mined by Judy or whomever is running the show in the lodge to create these realities for him. So that he feels like he is living inside a dream because he's seeing people from his past. He's repeating things over and over. You know, it's got the whole dream logic thing going on. So I think that's that makes sense to me. And that's obviously like a big, you know, without the whole the, the we live inside a dream angle of the of the return, it would be a lot more coherently uh, about like time travel. I think you know, or about like that that he's hopping between realities and that this is really he's on the journey. He left the lodge. Uh, you know, Vegas was real. All that stuff, but when Lynch threw that in there, that it makes you question everything. And I think that's the main takeaway and probably the main purpose of it is, is for us to be able to expand our dreams of the series by throwing the dreamer in there and all of us wondering who is the dreamer. You know, really well, yeah, in the end, I, I think Lynch is the dreamer. <laughs> well, it could very well be. I mean, I think it's very interesting that when, when Cooper goes, leaves the sheriff station, goes to the great Northern furnace room that like we were discussing, it's, Diane is there and Cole is there. It's like, you know, almost like Lynch. He's bringing Lynch along for the ride. Well, not necessarily Gordon is the dreamer, but Lynch is the dreamer in, in, in the end, you know, and we're all, and like, and, and you know, Cooper is, is living in a dream within, within a dream, you know, a dream inside a dream. Well, yeah, which starts off with, the, which I want to talk about is the Philip Jeffries, because that, even though we have all these different references to dreams, you know, I think that the A1 dream sequence in the entire uh, Twin Peaks canon is as the first real dream sequence that we saw with Cooper in the Red Room 25 years later with uh, with Laura Palmer. Yeah. That one obviously, but expanding on that mytholo- mythology with the Upanishads, with the we live inside of a dream, um, and the dreamer notion was the first reference was really the Jeffries character in, in Fire Walk with Me. So I mean, he comes to Philadelphia, and you know he was out hunting for Judy, and he happens upon the convenience store. And the big revelation to him is that we live inside of a dream. And then, of course, he disappears and then eventually evolves into the machine slash tea kettle. So I think that that really is uh, a huge part of the dream factory. And I don't think that Cooper, if he is uh, the dreamer or within his dream, I don't think Jeffries is a part of that. Um, I think that there's a kind of a separate um, plot arc narrative with the Jeffries angle and what we're seeing with Cooper uh, after the events of part 17 going into part 18 and crossing over is what Jeffries probably went through off camera during his fire walk with me years Um, time hump uh, time jumping uh, trying to change events, trying to find Judy. Maybe that you know, uh, Laura. Uh, Laura is his um, his white whale, and Jeffries's white whale is Judy. 
and it's just kind of this never-ending cycle and it eventually winds up scrambling your brain so much that you become you know out of time but mr c i think even said in part two when he thought he was talking to jeffries that he said that you're still nowhere to imply that jeffries is just probably living inside of a dream well like the whole idea of like the lodge multiverse like everyone can create the manifest their own realities in some way and like that you could call them dreams but they're you know that's probably how their brains can decipher it, but it may, be, it may not really be a dream. You know what I'm saying? It feels like a dream because they're bouncing all over the place and it's dream logic and things are shifting, realities are shifting, personalities, personas are shifting, motivations are shifting. You know, so it feels like it, you are living in your subconscious head, but it's obviously a tangible, real place. You know, it's not like they're all sleeping like in Inception in a bunch of sofas, you know, like Philip <laughs> right. Jeffries and this is all, you know, that. So I think that's what you know, it's like dreamer in, is like a, just an easy catchphrase or a way to describe this like bizarre logium time looping multi. I mean, think of it this way. Like we live inside a dream is a lot like catchier than like we live inside like a multivariational multiverse inside right. the lodge. You know, right. it's like uh, easier to say. Well, that that's really true because we don't the idea of dreaming connotes like sleeping. So I think in the Twin Peaks realm, the dream factory is just like another reality. When Hastings is talking about it was a dream, but you know, he, he, you know, it was kind of real. It was like, it was another reality. He wasn't sleeping, even though he woke up in bed, he was having, he was experiencing another reality. Now the Belushi one's a little more murkier or whatever, because he probably was asleep and had that dream, but we didn't see it. But that also could be like just a manifested Cooper creation. Vegas is not real. (laughs) Yeah, no, I- I, That's just his subconscious creating this character. Well, I- I, Talking about some dream logic that he has had himself, you know? Well, right. I mean, I think that if anything, really, and I don't think I've heard this anywhere. We live inside a dream within a dream within a dream, Tom. Like, that's really what some of these characters are doing, I think. That's true. That's true. But if anything, the if you want to ascribe the, the dreamer moniker to anyone in at least, you know, from parts three to 16, especially what we've been talking about with, with Cooper never really technically leaving the lodge, maybe it's the one-armed man. You know, because he really is popping up like at various points to Cooper and and actually like, you know, handing him the ring. And he's actually like in that that realm. He's able to get, you know, come out like poke through into another reality. And I'm not saying that I believe that the one armed man is the dreamer, but the whole part three through 16 for Cooper um, certainly is either a dream world or the Lodge world, the extension of the Lodge. And I, I, I think it might be a combination of the two, but more so like Cooper never escaping the Lodge because the whole thing, really, I mean, it's so cut and dry to me is that and when watching part 15 and 16 again, just the other night, I, I put those on a double feature, is that when Cooper finally wakes up and he's talking to the one-armed man, I think the, one of the first things the one-armed man tells him is that, that he's still out. And he didn't come back in, or, you know, obviously making a reference to uh, Mr. C. So him saying that he's still out, he's still out in the real world. This world that we're living in right here, that I'm talking to you, Agent Cooper, is not that outside world. Well, think about the whole rift in time that episode eight started. You know, we think like the, the nuclear explosion caused this rift so that we can now tap into this like multiverse Lodgy in reality, which is, you know, got woodsmen and all kinds of creepy monsters and, bog- and all kinds of shit falling. Nido, and it's just right there. It's just a multiverse, like, with it's existing in our same realm because it seems to be earthly bound. 
like naturally these people would think that any sort of encounter with this other reality, whether it comes in a dream or it's a vision, that they, they would think it would be a dream. You know what I mean? Like they would call it a dream. No, I agree. And it makes me think of the whole scene in part eight, since you mentioned that, of the fireman uh, when Senorita Dido comes into the room and sees him levitating. And then, you know, he's got the golden emanation coming out of his head. And he's laying down prone like he's dreaming, isn't he? Exactly. And what yeah. he creates from his, what do you want to say, quote unquote, dream is yeah. that Laura Orb. And I always thought that you know, he was sending, he was creating her like it was kind of more of the kind of the Christian mythology she was going to be the martyr the kind of the Christ-like figure that he was going to send to earth to have to die and and then to go into the lodge and to have a role there and which we just discussed in our last last podcast which I still kind of like a lot but that whole scene with with the fireman and that orb and it being sent to earth what if that orb itself was some kind of dream that he was sending to the world Somehow, and people are going like, no, it's going to Odessa, it's going to Twin Peaks, it's going to New Mexico, it's going to all these different locations. Well, what is it doing? It's going to these locations and it's going to find itself, you know, in Sarah Palmer somehow. I think it's more kind of a, that, you know, it, it's something that's going to affect like a region or maybe maybe the whole world or these lodges. In And it's not like Laura Palmer, like the living Laura Palmer. It's the image of Laura Palmer as the homecoming queen, the, the purity, the goodness. We don't know anything that's behind that mask, that duality that lies within her, what he has said. And I think that's why we didn't get another picture of Laura Palmer in that orb. It was not only the icon of the series of Twin Peaks, but it represented the, the good side of Laura Palmer. So what if that was a dream that he is somehow sending maybe to someone, maybe to, to Cooper or someone, or maybe to like a kind of region. So people can, when they do go to sleep, when the whole world and all their ills, the evil that's out there, somehow this, this, this representation of Laura Palmer, the homecoming queen that, that, that came from the firemen will somehow be an antidote to, to that and to ultimately like the extreme negative forest Judy. Yes, they're speculating like one day, like in Twin Peaks, like everyone's bummed out. They all go to sleep and they wake up the next day. Instead of the sun coming up, it's going to be the Laura Orb, like smiling down on them. And they're like, you know what? Life isn't so bad. Look at that. This is beautiful. And then everything's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's possible. Maybe in season four. Well, see, the whole thing about that is like, you know, everyone assumes that like that orb, if it was real, it came down and somehow it manifested inside of Sarah, right? How could it float around in the universe uh, with the Laura face? without attaching itself to the mother who is going to birth that person. Well, so are you saying that just like the egg which hatched and the bug found its way in the mouth of Sarah in 1956, that that orb would have a similar... you know, journey a similar yeah like track. I think that yeah it's just like yeah it's a, the, he, he threw that out there into space and it's like attaching itself to the mother spew and it's going to like you know be a little sneaky uh, add-on to the, the one egg to the egg that gets inside Sarah and somehow that's going to be a strange yeah no see that's what I yeah combo that's what I originally thought that that's what was happening that it would somehow wind up inside Sarah and create a duality within her and logic would imply that that's what happened because that's that's her daughter you know so well of course yeah but now doing some you know additional detective work 
um, I, I like I said, I, I'm kind of really kind of leaning towards maybe this new possibility that it wasn't meant to find its way inside just one person because of what the log lady has been saying, especially in, in this new series. Last, the whole thing with Laura is the one and the glow, everything, all these metaphors about, you know, nature, the wind and the rivers and the electricity and everything like that, that it all really comes back to Laura and Laura is the one. And we thought that we were going to get some kind of big payoff with Laura Palmer somehow being some kind of revelation uh, or, you know, having some kind of, uh, I would say a battle, but, you know, coming across Judy, Sarah, her mother, something that she, we were going to somehow see her, her representation of good. And it was going to somehow defeat this, this evil that was in Twin Peaks. And that never really came to light. It was just really a lot of talk from the log lady but since she was talking about her log is turning gold we know during her her very uh poignant uh death scene that maybe what she was talking about when with reference to laura is the one is knowing that where she came from the fireman here she is holding a log yeah um and it's more represent uh, uh more of a representation of uh an aura in that kind of town um, or maybe not just exclusive to the town, because we've talked about the influence of the Black Lodge in the Twin Peaks community. You know, we've seen Mr. C and the woodsman walking down that hallway in the convenience store and Lynch superimposed the woods while they're trekking down that hallway, like kind of to give the, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the, the connection with the evil there with the woods and that whole Steven and Gersten scene. I watched that again. The whole, like the soundtrack. I don't know if it was Pendrecki or if it was something that Lynch created, but it was almost like the woods were talking or somehow communicating or influencing Steven and Gersten. That was really, seeing that scene again, I got a whole completely different vibe from it. And, and I really, really like it. Obviously Jerry was influenced by something in the woods. So, um, so maybe that's what it is with Laura. And, and the orb and what the kind of the log lady is talking about it's more kind of symbolic than actually like uh, biological or, or organic yeah but like it, it hasn't worked you know what I'm saying Laura, <laughs> like you know, down. everything's gone to hell since like and everyone's forgotten her you know what I'm saying like no one talked about her in the series like it wasn't like she became a martyr and there's like statues of her around like heroically defeating Bob around the town and that she was like some sort of Christ figure that you know came and sacrificed herself and you know and then improved the world it seems like it's all gone to hell right like when is she gonna have her day when you know did the, the lodge just stamp her out is that what it is well that's or what we they shot her Judy shot her into a different reality and so that she wasn't able to achieve the death or ordained destiny from the, the fireman well that opens up a whole different like you know all these different tributaries and everything well first and foremost um, um, with that is that um, uh, the reason why maybe there's several reasons why I think that the town itself isn't talking actively about Laura Palmer because of the reality of the crime we have you know an incest murder basically probably you know the most horrific event to happen in that community so it's not something that around the dinner uh, table the, the conversation of Laura Palmer is lively it's something that probably never gets discussed um, also it could be that with Cooper eventually going back to February 23rd, 1989 and saving her is that the timeline is slowly starting to change and the memories and the events are you know starting to change. I mean, we had a couple of scenes, the diner scene at the end of part seven where 
um, the the whole like see the whole uh, setup like the characters in the diner I think it changed from shot to shot which had to be deliberate we had the mention of like Hawk and and Truman um, and Bobby not remembering what just happened at Jack Rabbit's palace any a number of other instances as well so that that could be part of the the Laura thing uh, that you know. Um, not only because of the events of the original series, The Horrific Mortar, that things are starting to, to change. And it really kind of came to head in part 18, even though we didn't see anyone in Twin Peaks in that whole um, episode. The only thing that re- we really got was the Palmer House, which is populated by Alice Tremond, and the exterior of the double R, which did not have the double R to go, meaning that it was you know, at least of a different time or the events had obviously changed where that never occurred. Yeah. So maybe the Laura, like the reason there was the gold shovel shoveling out of shit, Ed and, you know, Nadine, like things are looking up. Maybe the Laura orb caused that. That's where the rift was starting to happen. And maybe the Laura, she was the dreamer in the end, or she was one of the dreamers. Well, I never really got how Laura would be the dreamer in any of this. Well, I'm not saying Laura is the dreamer. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I think that, uh, you know that she is an emanation she is a part of the firemen and then she represents the 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 good side obviously what what the log lady was talking about like the influence like laura is the one she's more than this homecoming queen who was brutally murdered um obviously she was ultimately like saved due to time travel or whatever but i think that maybe the events that we're not seeing because the the, the show ended with her dying or not dying that that orb somehow is is hovering somehow is still trying to influence because we are getting some positive uh, scenes with a, a big ed and norma we're getting some with nadine look at bobby's arc um and we talked about this if thinking about laura palmer and her memories of the characters in her life that the people like audrey that she was very competitive with had a, 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 a bad fate. Her life did not turn out well. Obviously, look oh, yeah. at Sarah Palmer, her mother. You look at her father, who committed suicide in Frost's book. Um, look at uh, she James. must have probably hated uh, Donna because she just vanquished Donna, <laughs> yeah, right? Or Gersten. I mean, the only real yeah. hate. Well, I guess we got Doc Hayward, but she loved Doc Hayward um, from Firewalk with Me. The missing piece is that great scene about the angels or whatever. So. Um, it's possible that that there is more of a, a, well, I'd say there's an influence of Laura in that community, but there might be some meat on the bone with her as a dreamer, but not as the like you know omnipotent dreamer, the only kind of dreamer. It's got to be all, obviously Cooper has got to be one of the dreamers because at the yes. end, you know, with the superimposed head, and then when he went back in with the one-armed man, and they said electricity, and he was going to go back into the you know the go back in time. They did the old his eyes closed when they got close on his face. You know, he's obviously. Dreamer number one. I mean, he's like the prime suspect for who the dreamer would be. And if not, then he's got to be one of multiple dreamers, I would think. Okay. Norma. I'll see you in my dream. Not if I see you first. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Yeah, that's why that's a very interesting notion that you uh, you posit is the whole idea of multiple dreamers or shared dreams. And first and foremost, I agree, Cooper, A1, dreamer, uh, Laura Palmer, if we're going to go down that route, A2, dreamer. And what do we know, obviously, about them? They're connected. They've been connected 
from the almost very beginning of the original series, having the same dream. I mean, that great scene in part 16 of the original series where Donna gets the note from the, whatever, real Mrs. Tremond that, uh, from Laura's diary page that said that, you know, she had the strangest dream and she details what we, we all saw in part three. And then Cooper goes, Laura and I had the same dream. And Donna says, well, that's impossible. And Cooper goes, yes, it is. So we have them tied together. And I think I've heard Lynch in, in interviews just reference that, that Laura and Cooper um, are like tied together and what are they tied together from they're tied together from this dream so it would make sense like you say that if we're seeing some kind of like whatever are in within our narrative we're seeing a dream factory it would make sense that the two you know primary characters are laura and cooper and and when cole especially um in the buckhorn motel when he opened the door and he saw laura that could be a big clue of like somehow Laura's dream somehow infecting Cole or maybe from Cooper knowing from his experiences in the lodge what Laura whispered and ultimately having to save her that that is on the forebrain and somehow Cole is psychically linked to Cooper which I think there's a lot with that um, because Cole is certainly playing Cole's one of the dreamers he's got to be one of the dreamers too right well yeah he is I mean the Blue Rose Task Force is obviously they they are somehow clued in. Full of dreamers. They're, they're full of dreamers, yeah. Hey, one thing though, okay, if, if he went back and retconned the death of Laura, right? Did that even episode three, season one dream even happen? How could it have happened? Because she never died. Well, no, but she had that dream she before she died, right? So he would have had it anyway, whether she died or not. She just disappears, he's going to still have that same dream. In yeah, three. right, because he came to town, apparently. We don't know long, how long he stayed. But obviously he came to investigate uh, Laura Palmer's disappearance. It would have been him coming to investigate Renette Pulaski crossing over the state line, which meant that the FBI could be called in. But obviously it would have been tied into Laura Palmer. But I think I wonder that, if he would have taken such strict notes, you know, if it was just a disappearance and a woman crossing across the, you know what I'm saying? He probably would have just gone, ah, weird dream, go back to bed. Right. Would have right. thought about it, yeah. Well, that's interesting that's because it makes, me, <laughs> it makes me think of what uh, Tammy said in the final dossier towards the end of the book, I believe, where she is starting to herself uh, uh, not remember certain events. Like it's starting to affect her. And I think that she says at some point that she wants to revisit Cooper's old tapes because not only in, in, in uh, relation to obviously the, the events that she's discussing but she also mentions i think diane and saying that how there was certain certain uh tapes that might have been redacted or or notes or files or something like that that she specifically blamed diane for so um so it could be getting back to your your original uh question i think that cooper would still have that dream it just wouldn't have been her you know, her, her being dead at that point yeah, it's interesting. Like clues, all I mean, clues are always transferred through dreams in Twin Peaks. You know what I mean? And they they prove to be true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is that like a method, a way that like the the lodge can connect with and communicate with the real world is through dreams? Like that's really a, that's the purpose it serves as a plot function. You know? Well, no, that's 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 a great point because what what do we get in the second season premiere? We actually have a spirit from one of the lodges. Uh, the giant in the original series, now the fireman in the return, actually show up into Cooper's room, whether he was dreaming or not. 
um, to give him clues, to help him on his investigation, just like the one-armed man Philip Gerard did in, in The Return. He was pretty much acting like the giant slash fireman, wasn't he, in, in The Return? Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, that's very interesting. And one thing I want to mention is that because I think it kind of ties into what we're talking about here is um, from the Blu-ray, there was one really interesting um, shot in the a documentary that uh, Richard, uh, Richard Bamer, the Ben, ben Horn, um, he shot um, footage um, in, in the Red Room. And there was one scene of the fireman in the lodge. Um, and he was wearing his coat and he had a line of dialogue and he was saying it backwards and there were no, there were no subtitles. So, so I, but I think he said, do you remember or do you remember to me? Do you remember me? And I think he was, obviously he was talking to Cooper, but then Lynch's direction um, during that scene, now it could have been for something else. You, you never know, but, but Cooper's, his direction at that point was, to, to Cooper that now you see like uh, like uh, like like an open space and 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 darkness and you go into that world but it was basically when the, the curtains disappeared we saw the white horse and then we saw the infinite like lodge so um, it would be interesting that if if what was intended in this series when Cooper's going from room to room trying to get out getting all these different clues that he sees the fireman the fireman says do you remember me and disappears the whole the curtains disappear and then there's the infinite void and then he gets out but they kind yeah, of yeah or would it be a doppel like a fireman would it be a real fireman a real guy well i don't know but it goes back to the original be a figment of his of his dream you know what i'm saying he's got a unified well but th- see that's the whole thing is obviously he visited the fireman uh, in his dream because at the end he was like he knew all about freddy freddy's mission you know what i mean which had to he had to have talked to the fireman while he was up there so exactly he knew cooper was he was almost like he was omniscient, even though he was Dougie, you know, for well, he wasn't well, he was living the life of, of Dougie Jones or whatever. But he he knew in his mind he had all of these uh, all this data. I mean, he knew about case files, agent, you know, coffee, his whole life. Gordon Cole was the one thing that really kind of snapped him out of it and made him go to the wall and put the fork in, in the electrical socket to actually snap snap too. But he had all that stuff in his head, so he had probably the whole. Freddie thing and the Richard and Linda, all that stuff, because we don't know when that scene kind of took place. So at some point he had to visit the firemen, but it is... Well, he did in the first scene. He probably just had a hundred more of those. Right. Andy-like visits. Yeah, the Andy-like But how would he, my question to you is how, and we talked about this, but how did he or would he have visited the firemen being in that purgatory state for 25 years? Well, that just has to be another part of the reality, like just like the old episode, uh, series when he could go from room to room, and there's just a like just in this one, you open up a door, there is there's Vegas, the highway, he couldn't get in there, but you know it's like every room is could one of them could be, there it is, is he's all of a sudden in the mansion of the the fireman. Well, what about what about this? Remember in part seventeen when he actually went back, there was that transition where after the one armed man said electricity, um, he Cooper disappeared. And we pretty much saw that the whole extended scene in Fire Walk With Me where Laura leaves the house and goes to the woods. And then Cooper st- comes in, he fades in in that static way in, in the woods. What if during that transition, he visited the fireman? Because that, tr- that, that, that shot, that static shot of him appearing in the woods is the same kind of shot of him disappearing in part one after the fireman gave him those clues. Yeah, we've talked about that. I think that's definitely a possibility. Gordon, 
It's 10.10 a.m. on February 16th. I was worried about today because of the dream I told you about. Or he's just the Look, omnipotent dreamer god within the lodge and that he knows it all. Let me ask you this. The whole real Laura Palmer, uh, the secret of what was going on in that house in the original series. Basically, Leland drugging Sarah and, and, and sexually molesting Laura for like years. And Judy and Bob just going crazy. <laughs> really kind of I want to say defined the Laura Palmer character but gave her so much more color to her character and, and why she did the things that she did uh, all the abuse that she suffered the violence everything and, and degraded herself all this stuff that really you know I'm not saying it's been whitewashed because we didn't really spend any time with her and no one really kind of talked about it we really only got one little subtle hint of what was going on within her life in Odessa with that man in her house who was was shot and maybe that cycle of abuse was continuing with the Carrie Page lifestyle but my question to you is do you think maybe it was deliberate on Lynch and Frost or more so maybe with Lynch that he had already kind of done that he had kind of played out the sexual abuse angle the incest and that we really didn't get you know that angle here in in the new series because it's already built into her character and then or maybe that he wanted to kind of absolve Leland or change the sexual molestation to more of this extreme negative force Judy trying to you know either Garmin Bozia Laura or kill Laura well yeah, I think he just transferred it to like Mr. C going crazy on Audrey and tulping Diane to death with his rapings and all that stuff and they transferred it to that evil that was the Bob because but where does Bob go he goes out of Leland and he goes into Mr. C so we see the same thing it's not an incest situation but he's obviously raping and pillaging her all through town like so that's you know that's where Bob remains but yeah it was done I think with Laura because if we sure she's gone unless you're going to recreate a new character like and have some sort of repeating cycle going on but we've seen that, and I, I don't want to. I think they made the right choice. Um, even though I do really like, you know, the, I did like the original Laura, like having that be like being her being more real, not having this like ordained special. She's the one thing, right? Which I, I I've totally gotten into now. But I did like that rawness of the original series. But I think that was uh, that was Firewalk with me, and we moved on, you know. And also, we thought Laura was going to show up, <laughs> like episode nine, ten, twelve, fourteen. We kept waiting, <laughs> and she didn't show up till the end. So we thought she was going to really have a major role here. And come back in some Carrie Page like storyline that was like Audrey's, but like maybe twice as long, maybe three times as long. But uh, we didn't get that, so all that stuff was just in the past. But we all remember it, even though it wasn't mentioned, you know. And all that Sarah stuff at the end, smashing the homecoming. I mean, that evil. You could. It was all in our memory of everything that went on in that house. And it was so you know terrifying the first time, and the subsequent million times we've watched it. That Lynch knows that's already in our head. So he can, doesn't have to remind us of that shit. All he has to do is show the house and show like Sarah. And you're like, ugh, the dread comes back. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't diminish it for me because I look at each um, iteration of Twin Peaks, the original series, Firewalk With Me, and The Return as it's kind of its own like kind of narrative, even though it's, it's linked. It, but I do feel that they're separate. And especially now with the, these kind of two timelines that we have, that whole narrative of Leland, Sarah, and Laura, that cycle of abuse and violence still exists. 
in one timeline, but it just doesn't in, in, in another timeline. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big part of the new narrative and it can continuing to kind of discuss it and kind of hammer it uh, home. And, uh, and I kind of like what they decided to do um, with the lore character, even though like, like what you said, it, it took a little time to kind of really kind of come to, um, to really kind of understand it, to, to kind of accept that. Um, but I think now that we know the events of what happened at the end, having the two timelines, I love it. And it, built, it, it really kind of ties into the whole duality of not only Laura Palmer herself, but you know the actual uh, show and the name Twin Peaks. I mean, that's what really what we're talking about is duality. So are you saying that there's like just two timelines? Because it feels like there's more than that. <laughs> there, well, I mean, I think that, well, yeah, you're right. There could be, but I think we have- At least have, three, right? When you cut this 18, that's the third one. No, you're, you're exactly right. What I'm talking about with Laura Palmer specifically um, with the events of kind of the original series that going back, obviously, one where she dies, one where she doesn't die. She doesn't, okay. Yeah, and I think that even the Carrie Page is I think we're going on that timeline of not dying, obviously. And Cooper and Diane cross over into wherever she is, obviously in Odessa, and they're kind of uh, penetrating that particular timeline it could well I'm still not sure that it's not just all a Cooper fantasy anyway you know what I'm saying <laughs> it still could, could the whole unified like could still bleed into 18 for as far as I know yeah you know what I'm saying like I really think because there he was back in the lodge with her whispering in his ear at the end you know, it's all she's probably dead long gone probably maybe not even be around it's probably just, it's still I, that's still a possibility that it's all just fucking Cooper's crazy dream well what we're what seeing with Cooper it. I think in part 18 really is um, like him finally dealing with his shadow self that was the whole thing um that once he got out of the lodge properly which i don't think happened until like part um, 18 is that um that mr c whatever mr c embodied like his his darker nature um was was returned to cooper and cooper being out of the game so to speak for 25 years in the lodge and dealing with like you said maybe all these different kind of realities um, there could have been stuff that we didn't even see like off camera that he was dealing with in, during these whole 25 years. But what we're seeing here in part 18 is him finally, I think, with his darker self and struggling with that because he's still got that mission in mind. I mean, his mission right now is the, is the story of the little girl down the lane, just like before it was, do you remember your doppelganger? Well, you know, that kind of got solved, but he really didn't defeat or confront his shadow self. Um, and he is now kind of whole again for the first time in 25 years. And we only saw a small sliver of that in part 18. And I think that if the story is to continue, that is going to be something that Lynch is going to go ahead and really kind of focus in on is that um, his, his character, you know, he dealing with the darkness within him because it's fantastic that in the original series, we get really kind of the good coop. I mean, for the entire series. And then we have the great cliffhanger. And now we have pretty much all of uh, Mr. C and, and what we have with Cooper is pretty much Dougie of him being like you say kind of the Buddha we really haven't seen Cooper after these 25 years whole and I think that's what the setup was for part 18 for some kind of you know future iteration whether it's in you know novel form and movies or another series and that to me is very very intriguing I think that would be something that Kyle McLaughlin I think would really relish uh, to play is pretty another version of Cooper. We talked about that in part 18. Wasn't there like five or six really, if you really kind of focus, there's really five or six kind of Coopers that you're seeing in part 18 um, alone. 
which is fascinating. Yeah, he's evolving, he's changing, he's morphing, and I still think it might it might not be real. You're saying he keeps saying he's coming back into some reality. Maybe he, maybe Cooper inevitably isn't able to like even dream uh, a reality where he is the hero or where he is complete and where he does come, uh, face his dark side and, and defeat it. Like he's running from it. Yeah. You know, like he never even really faces himself ever. Like, are we ever going to see that? Is it? I mean, and is it actually real? Like, I still don't know. Like, you keep on saying that kind of that white knight syndrome. Like, you know, he's got to save the damsel in distress, but he never really kind of looks in the mirror and tried to focus on himself. There's that one great shot when he, he is... never even like slays the you know dragon. He doesn't like charge in. Like he kind of runs from the the the, the when he gets to the thre- the threshold. Like with uh, Mrs. Tremont, he doesn't go in the house. You know, yeah. like he doesn't quite get there. But don't you think there was some real kind of conflict going on within him at that moment? Like one part of him was like, I have to bring this woman who I think is Laura Palmer to her home. But there's also that kind of Mr. C side of him probably knowing that what is within this home is not good. And here I am bringing Laura Palmer to this house. So I think it's that conflict. I think a part of him wants to go inside and investigate. And I think a part of him doesn't want to. And that's what's so fascinating on, on the rewatch, watching him. I mean, Cooper, McLaughlin, just, he nails it on repeat viewings. I mean, there's so many little subtle little clues within his character that I'm just picking up on like, I don't know, I've seen it like 12 times now. But that's for me what's going on is that his mission is conflicted because he himself is conflicted. Well, but the FBI motto, I don't know what the hell, they probably taught him something in class where they complete the mission, right? Like this has been going on for 25 years. They Also the years they planned it with Gordon and Jeffries and the whole gang or uh, Garland to, to kill two birds with one stone. He didn't, he got to the, after all of that, he didn't, uh, you know, he took no for an answer essentially and just walked away. Maybe he was scared or maybe he didn't want her to push her through it. But I don't know. He just seemed more befuddled than anything else. Well, no. Don't you think that that would – I mean, okay, so what would have happened if he would have pushed in? I mean, don't you think it's it's possible that what happened when Laura He would have screamed... used his Cooper charm to, to – <laughs> I think he would have used his Cooper charm to get in there. And he would have seen some fucking weird shit. Gone to the kitchen and there's some – basically the fucking portal of all portals. The Grand Central Station portal might have opened up and – he could have been sucked to hell, but uh, maybe he did realize <laughs> that it was a terrible idea at the very end. He was like, abort! Abort! Like, this is a really bad idea. Like, you can't face Judy. You can't walk up to Judy's house and knock on the door and just expect to you know, talk your way into defeating her and just throw Laura at her and run. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that there's a very good reason why he pulled back and then questioned. Remember that whole little, little, little thing he did in the street with his hand? It was almost like he would like. He's grabbing the invisible doorknob. He yeah. was exactly like trying yeah, to, hey, take, man, yeah. <laughs> take me to another portal. Take me to another yeah. reality. And then saying, what year is this? So, um, yeah. Well, he lost all of his chivalry. He lost all of his motive. His like his uh, protagonist, uh, you know, type A Cooper motive. You know, he used to be a man of action. You know, he used to be able to have some moves. He used to be very good. Remember season one, how he could just like basically analyze anybody's uh, weakness and, and win. You know, he didn't have any of that at that doorstep. And so that's that's all. Well, no, because it might be a dream. Well, could be a dream, could be a dream or could end. just be the reality of the twenty five years and all the shit that went down. And um, just think about just the stuff that we that he didn't 
even discussed that it's still in his brain, like the whole Annie thing, the whole Wyndham Earl thing, the Caroline thing is still in there. There's stuff in his past with his mother. There's all kinds of stuff in his brain. There's a whole thing with Diane, obviously, which is obviously very murky. And the big part is that his shadow self was host to Bob and went on this whole like diabolical spree for like 25 years with his <laughs> with his face with his like memories and everything like that and i think that's kind of part what part of what, lives. What, what laura whispered to him is kind of like who knows i mean we're never going to find out what she said but it could be that part of what she's whispering to him is what was going down what his shadow self mr c was doing to audrey doing to all these people here um and that's you know could have been the reaction of huh so i mean i i don't know i mean i think a part of it is like related to her storyline but i think that he once he gets out all the stuff that happened to mr c his experiences of 25 years are now part of that cooper that exited the lodge in part 18 and we only see what a couple of days if so of, of him he's not even able to process all that so every event that we're seeing him with diane him at judy's him with carrie page and and him at the, the palmer house is him just starting to process all of this stuff that has been going on for 25 years that 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 you know that he wasn't privy to so you think when so Cooper, Mr. C died, that he still has all the memories of all the evil doings that Mr. C did? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes. I, so it all came, but he didn't experience it himself. So wouldn't that seem like that was a horrible nightmare? You're having a memory. It's like a PTSD, like horrible. What is that? You know, it'd feel like a dream, a nightmare, a memory of a nightmare. Uh, I guess maybe that's why Cooper wasn't talking to Laura or Carrie in 18 on, in the, on the car ride and acting normal. You know, that's what makes me think it's all still like a dream, that he's still stuck in it because... I just think that any any Cooper of, would be more verbal than that, and he would have a little more empathy to her, and he wouldn't just be a silent because he seemed like he was doing the duty's bidding there at the end. It was very terrifying. Well, yeah, that made me think the, like it's a nightmare. It can't be I, real. I can't believe my my sweet sweet Coop would do that. But but I, that was I not know. your sweet sweet Coop there. I think, I but I do think every time we saw Cooper, whether it was in the lodge or as Mister C or as Dougie, that was still Agent Cooper, a part of Agent Cooper. That's it, whether Bob's in him or not, or he's in a purgatory, or if he's dreaming. That is still Agent Cooper. And that is what is really is fascinating to me, is that we, I think, are just now seeing in Part 18, the first sign of a whole Cooper since the events of the original series. And that's why what we're seeing in Part 18 is so kind of disturbing and uncoop-like. Yeah, did we see anything about like that remind us of old Cooper in eighteen when he went through the thing? No, no there was no. No, nothing. Not even with Diane. Nothing. nothing, nothing. Yeah, nothing. It was like just like you say, like I said earlier, the Buddha. You call like the Dougie Coop Buddha. Um, this is like a, a come up with like what is is it? Samsara is kind of the opposite of uh, uh, of the Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. like Samsara Coop. This is I'm like sorry. a more. I, I, I'm not Genghis in. Coop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this is a different like kind of iteration of of, of Cooper, and you know, I, I would for me, I would really, even though I loved all the Dougie stuff, I mean, I loved everything, but I really, really, really want to see 
this new iteration of Cooper in a new series, even though the the, the sweet, sweet, sweet Coop that you say is going to always be my favorite one, but I can always go back and watch the original series. It only makes sense in life. If we look at our own selves and look in the mirror and say, who am I? We're going to look at like the perspective of how different we are at different stages in our life. And I think that's what kind of Lynch and Frost are kind of saying is that that Cooper that we saw 25 years ago, he's never going to be the same. We gave you a little bit of a, a morsel here in part six. 16 and 17, but this is not where we're going in our narrative. I mean, that really, to me, was the big, big, big kind of fan service. Because I don't think they really wanted to go that way, because I don't think as as individuals and as artists that they really kind of believe in that. Um, so what we're getting of Cooper as Mr. C, uh, or Mr. C and ultimately this Richard character in Part 18 is kind of what they're saying about the evolution of like all of us through aging. Yeah, see, I feel like maybe at the end when Richard, he was Richard there at the end. What year is it? She screams, lights go out, boom. He's back in the Lodge of Laura and he's back to being Coop. He's no longer Richard after that. He's 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 no longer on the doorstep. He's no longer in this Richard world with, with uh, Carrie. He's back in the fucking Lodge again as Cooper and Laura. And she's whispering that oh, in his ear, the eternal whisper. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, I you see. Know, so I feel like that whole Richard experiment was just like a, was an experiment. It was one reality kind of like the little pocket reality that Laura was there, Carrie had manifested, or whoever threw her there manifested, but that that would not, he would no longer be Richard uh, in the next season. He might be hopping around if we keep uh, the Frost thing going, that he would be multi, multi-personas. You know, he would be Richard one, and Stanley the other one, and like whatever, Chet and this one, you know, so, it, uh, but he's always Cooper in, in, inside. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I have a different thought on that, that he they didn't go back either, Cooper didn't go back to the Blodge or they both went back together is that what we're seeing at the end is that just it, it's iconic it's that just shot flashback to the main shot yeah it's what she, whatever she's telling him and his expression which is the greatest <laughs> thing ever right I mean isn't it yes. that is just so perfect is that that is what's going on in that guy's head That's how I felt whoever that Cooper is right there in part 18 what she's tell, what he's remembering or seeing that is like a Sarah Palmer TV loop in his head and it's something that I think that is so I want to say horrific mysterious something that he is he, he's destined to, to just kind of rectify or challenge or go after and it may never come to fruition and it's like this kind of this this vicious cycle that's that's what I kind of get is that you know the dream the, the actual dream sequence itself being the same in the original series and here in this series, the whisper, but the whispers are different, them being tied together, them as different personas here in part 18 on the threshold, the doorstep of this huge, like, you know, evil within this Palmer house. What year is this? And then boom, the whisper again and again and again. Yeah, it always comes back to that. You know what I'm saying? They can do all these experiments and realities. They can hop around and, and, and time loops and, you know, pocket universes, but it always comes back to that. The waiting room of the lodge. Just check in. It's like a it's like a hub, a DFW airport or something in the middle of the country. Like you come back, well, back again. Get on the flight. We're gonna go. You know. So it seems like it always comes back to that that one shot in the waiting room, which is uh, appropriately titled if we conceive that to be true. Yeah, waiting room. We've got a, a red room. We've got I think like a purgatory uh, purgatory room where people who die, tulpas or you know bearers of the ring, the ray go to. Um, so we who Matt? Oh, Maddie. Is Maddie. God, I would, you know, I, I had the the intention, even though it wasn't tied into our dream um, theme tonight. I just want to talk so much more about Maddie because I think that she is 
such uh, an important character. I loved her character. We loved her character. But now with what we're knowing, what we know from the final dossier, I would love to, to spend some time talking about what may have happened to Maddie, uh, possibly even coming to Twin Peaks when Laura Palmer disappeared to console um, her aunt and uncle and if she died. Frost did mention that she's probably alive somewhere, but yeah, I would love to I talk to be in season four. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I would have loved to have seen Cheryl Lee with the brown wig, <laughs> the brunette, just the, just, oh God, Maddie, that would have been so. Yeah, that's a way the, to actually, you could have brought back the Laura essence and like she, maybe she could have had visions of Laura, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Maddie, if she lived, like that's a way to bring her back I in totally season four. I totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Well, on that note, do you have any uh, final thoughts for this episode, my friend? I want to talk about uh, briefly some of the, uh, the the Blu-ray stuff. I just want to let everyone – I want to actually give a shout-out to um, Nicole. She's uh, She works – I don't know the company she works for, but she actually facilitated uh, like Showtime and CBS Home Entertainment of sending us uh, an advanced copy of, uh, of the Blu-ray set. So I, I was able to get it yesterday and watch it and – uh, it was gratis, and uh, I really appreciate that. So um, we're going to actually awesome. yeah, do you. a review. But thank you very much uh, <laughs> to her for that. But Someone must be listening if Showtime has sent us one. That's good. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, and I just want to let everyone know, I mean, I think obviously all Twin Peaks fans are, are going to probably get this set, but you're in for a great treat. I mean, if you are familiar at all with um, the documentary entitled Lynch One, which was um, uh, a documentary that this filmmaker shot when Lynch was uh, directing Inland Empire. It's very similar uh, with with uh, you know behind the scenes stuff and and him actually you know directing on set. Um, so if you're familiar with that and of the art life, which he also directed, you'll get a really good idea. But it's like six hours, and we pretty much go to all the different locations. Um, and see Lynch in his element and see behind the scenes stuff like him talking to his team about like certain production details and one of the really big 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 uh, moments for me was I think the last there's 10 I think these short documentaries and the very last one uh, Lynch was given the news. They're trying to set up a schedule, and they said, well, okay, like on Monday, we're going to be at the Great Northern for two days, like the set of the Great Northern. And Lynch kind of like just flipped. He was like, two, I can't do all that in two days. And basically, they only had Ashley Judd for two days, and they tried to get all these scenes done. But he was really pissed off that they only really allotted two days for that. And it really kind of it, it was built into like him being upset that – he wasn't allowed to experiment more during this production because he says the fireman's uh, scene in part eight, like the whole, the, he calls it the mansion. We call it the White Lodge or I call it the domain. But uh, the fireman, the location where the fireman and Senorita Dido, he wanted to spend like a week there and like to say to experiment. He couldn't because of the money and, and the, the production and having to, it was so big, obviously, and I'm sure money was tight. But Lynch was pissed and he said, like, I think he said, like, I'm never going through that again. Which made me kind of like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You, you were given so much freedom with this. But the guy is just so tied into his art, and he loves to experiment. You see him doing hands-on stuff, which is so fast. He's actually doing like you know, little touch-ups and, and blood and all, all these facets creating like while he's directing and rehearsing. And it's great insight, and I'm sure you're all going to love it. And uh, um, it really is a, is a big success, I think. So thank you again to, uh, to Nicole. Appreciate it. Yeah, so you're saying that like the, they, they had a limited budget, and that's why we saw that really cheap Superman 2-type uh, Mr. Seahead in the jail. 
<laughs> no, but uh, you would be surprised when you watch this. The stuff, especially in the red red room, of what is not CGI. I thought that some of the stuff was actually CGI, but they actually did some stuff. Like remember when Cooper was you know, about to be uh, sucked through the glass box, or he left the lodge, and the floor came up and down. That was done real. Uh, they actually had like some like the devices that actually went up and down, and they actually had a little tank that McLaughlin went into. They actually shot that organically, wow. which I thought was interesting. And a lot of people thought the red room itself was all CGI. The drapes were CGI because they looked so different from the original series, but uh, it wasn't. It was actually a legitimate set. So, yeah, well, it's all good stuff. Can't wait to watch it. Uh, and I'm sure everyone else out there can't wait to see it as well. We'll be doing a podcast on that next. So, uh, yeah. Until then, thanks for tuning in, guys. Mm-hmm.